0: Last time in this special series of The Game Changers, looking at social leadership and entrepreneurship, had the really good fortune to get to know Dean D'Elia a little bit better. He is, of course, a history-trained teacher, but he's gone on to do much, much more in his career. He is a stunning example of a social leader who's really making a difference in the world. We heard about his earlier career last time. This time, we're gonna to talk to him about the work he's doing at Prince's Trust, can't wait, let's go. Dean, thanks so much for joining us again. I really, really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much, Phil. It's, it's an honor to have the opportunity to talk about myself. <laughs> oh. Something I'm very, not very comfortable in doing, but... Uh, oh, oh gosh, oh <laughs> gosh, it's, that's okay, that's okay. It's, um, you are being very brave and very vulnerable, and I appreciate it enormously. Dean, let me take you into the notion of leadership and social leadership. What makes leaders successful at what they do today? Uh, uh, where,
1: where do we start? The, the first thing that popped into my mind, Phil, is, is the fact that there is no one type of leadership, that uh, leadership shows up in, in different ways. People have a tendency towards different leadership styles. And, and, you know, we're talking today about education. Part of that is lifelong learning. Uh, and recognizing that there's always something to learn. But I think one thing to, to, to that, that I've certainly uh, focused on, I guess in my career and also in, in helping young people to develop their leadership capabilities is really knowing Knowing the skills that you're good at, knowing the skills that you maybe need to continue to develop and the things that aren't necessarily even that interesting to you uh, that others may have. And being able to pull together a team that are like visions and that are all working towards uh, a, cl- a clear goal. Um, certainly in the, the dynamic teams that I've been a part of uh, in my career, uh, there's certainly been a, a focus on, on a like vision. Um, and certainly you know, a, a culmination of, of skills that enable us to, to achieve whatever that goal
0: is that we're trying to achieve. So I want you to be even braver now because I'm going to ask you, what's the stuff that you think you're pretty good at at the moment and what's the stuff that you're working on?
1: We focus at, at Princess Trust on 10 uh, you know, internationally renowned uh, enterprise skills or what used to be called soft skills, future skills, whatever you want to call them. We haven't really got a, a global name for them yet, but the skills that we're going to need for the future, there's a couple of things within that that I think that, that I do pretty well. And so I think I'm pretty good at problem solving. I'm pretty good when it comes to innovation and communication. I think I'm good at bringing people together and bringing the right people together to, to help to solve some pretty tricky and complex things. What I am not so great at and continuously trying to improve uh, is digital literacy, which is also one of those skills uh, not just being able to use the internet, but being able to, you know, make things, break things, remake things, being able to design in the digital space, as well as being able to use, you know, as I said, use Google and use platforms.
0: So how, how do you know that's the one that you need to work on? Walk me through the decision-making process that says, you know what, I've got limited time and energy and resources because I'm a busy fella. So I, uh, that's the one that I'm going to focus on. So we've created an enterprise skills quiz
1: at Princess Trust Australia, which asks you to self-assess, I guess, against against 10 skills. So effectively it's an online tool, takes about 10 minutes, asks a series of questions around those 10 enterprise skills, and at the end you get your results, which are your own take on how you rank yourself out of 10 against those 10 enterprise skills. So I guess I learned pretty quickly and, and, and it was quite humbling to see which ones uh, were my top and which ones <laughs> are the ones that I could potentially work on. You know, and, and I guess once you've got that information, there is a real opportunity to continue to develop those skills. And that's certainly the premise for what we've been designing, co-designing, and kind of delivering at Princess Trust
0: Australia. So there's an evidence gathering process. You've got to put yourself through it. How did it feel when you were doing that sort of thing and the numbers come up and you look there and it's it's good and you look there and it's not so good? How does that feel for you to walk through that process of self-assessment? I think probably like a lot of people out there, I'm, I'm, I'm my worst
1: critique, I guess. So I'm always looking at the things that I can improve and it's probably harder to, to look at the top end of things and, and the things that I'm good at. And I think also in an Australian context where we have tall pep- poppy syndrome is a real thing. I feel like we're in a culture where we're not very comfortable in talking about the things that we're good at um, and probably more comfortable in talking about the things that we you know can improve on. Um, so what I actually found, Phil, is that when, when it came to the, the ones that were sort of on the top, things like problem solving and and innovation, that I knew I had experiences that have helped me a lot, have enabled me to develop those skills. Um, they're the ones I've probably least comfortable in talking about.
0: Yeah, isn't it interesting? Um, you know, we finished the last conversation in this series by talking about the notion that we teach who we are. And we need to be prepared to do that then, don't we? We need to be able to present ourselves as we are. You strike me as a person who deals in the currency of vulnerability with some assuredness. Has that always been the case or has it been a bit of a journey to get there and and, and to be able to present all sides of Dandelier rather than just the flash bits? Absolutely. Through trial and error, through a lot of of error.
1: Um, Yeah. In our last conversation, uh, we spoke a little bit about my sort of early career path. And I'll give you a snippet of of kind of what happened (laughs) throughout the rest of it, because I think it really plays to, to your question. So I went from not really knowing what I wanted to do to trying out this education thing for that really being something that I really got into not for profit focused on education, really looking at systems change, both within Australia and and globally. But I did get pretty frustrated with both the sort of not-for-profit sector and education sector for a while. I felt like there was a a fair bit of wasted resources. Um, A lot of people talking the talk, but not necessarily walking the walk. And I I made a decision, probably out of ego, or definitely out of ego in hindsight, um, that I was gonna leave the sector. I was gonna throw my hat in the ring and become an entrepreneur. In a completely different sector to what I knew, I was sort of looking at where were the opportunities to really, I guess, become financially independent so that I could then use my resources to make the systems better. I started my own company in distribution of wearable technology, had some massive wins and some epic, epic failures in it my first couple of years and being an entrepreneur and actually ended up liquidating the company before its second birthday. I learned so much through that experience, and I remember it. Uh, you know, before starting that that business, a mentor of mine said, "If you, you know, if you want to go out and learn business, go and start a company, and it's the best personal development you'll ever do." I certainly felt that, um, and what I learned through that experience there were so many lessons, but one of them was it really grounded my understanding of my passions and the importance of pursuing your passion. You know, and I did this thought exercise at the time, which was, you know, if I had unlimited resources. So say $50 million in the bank, how would I be spending my days? Sort of post the whole going out and buying Ferraris or whatever else you wanted to do. Um, and then the second question was if you had limited time, so literally got the call from the doctor saying you've got X many days or months to live. How would you spend your days? Neither of those were in my job or my business that I'd created. And what I really learned was I, I really, really missed uh, my work having impact and actually working in education. What I also learned is that my three core values were the things that drove every one of my decisions and actually were fundamental to who I am. Those being uh, justice, integrity and vulnerability. So when you ask about you know, assuredness and vulnerability, I think it comes from having lived experience of failure and then failing forward lived experience of moving away from something that was a you know potentially not the path that was contributing to my higher self, but also, you know, under really understanding the importance of connecting to your your passions and your values and what the amazing things that can come from a life when you start to focus on those things and actually name them.
0: There you go. And I, I should just point out for folks that um I had absolutely no idea what Dean's driving values were. So it just speaks to the authenticity. I had, um, I had an experience, I guess, when I was, um, I think I would have been about 24 and I was doing a, a year 10 parent teacher evening and uh, I was giving some um, absolute stick about her son who was pretty normal, 15 year old, and I was a fairly self-righteous 24 year old teacher. Uh, <laughs> So it's hard to imagine, isn't it, uh, It's very hard to imagine, but nonetheless, it was there. And uh, I'm I'm banging on about, you know, what are his values and this and that and the other, and I need him to be a better young man and all this. And she just turned around and she said, what are your core values? If you're banging on about values so much, what are your core values? And I went, dub, 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 dub. And she just said, well, don't you dare lecture me and about my son if you haven't even got that sort of stuff sorted out for yourself. So yeah. Fair credit to her. She then rang me up about three or four days later and she said, it's pretty tough on you. Do you want to sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about it? And I did. And she was incredibly helpful for me. You know, And, 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 and the, the, the three that have always guided me from that day are loyalty, service, and integrity. I think they're... It's things that I find uh, wonderful challenges and wonderful goals. I don't ever imagine that uh, I'm, I'm in any yep. way perfect, yep. um, but, that's, but that's the way. I want to talk about teacher perfectionism for a moment because it's a real challenge for those of us drawn into education. I want to start by telling a story on the weekend just finished. I ran into a very dear old mate of mine. We'd been at school with each other, but, we had, but because of life, we haven't seen each other very much after school and, and we're sitting down having a cup of coffee talking about things. I'm going to give a shout-out to Nicholas Plowman. Thank you. It was lovely catching up with you the other day. Nicholas has been involved in uh, with his brother in, uh, in a meditation app called Insight Timer, which is now the third most used meditation app in the world and the eighth most visited platform. And listening to him talk about it, it was it was so... Uh, he, he's such a humble guy, and, and he's sitting there and he's saying... Do you know, it's only because of the mistakes I've made that we're able to do what we're doing right now. And I'm still not getting it right along the way. And I just thought, oh, wow, that's just, that's just, that's, that's just absolute gold as a lesson. We start in education perhaps with a sense of a desire to fix things, to make a difference, to drive improvement, to propel everything forward. And we become trapped by a sense of perfectionism, don't we? How do you let go that perfectionism? How do you let go the need to be not only perfect at what you do, but for no one to see any of the mistakes? I think what's
1: really interesting is that, you know, as we start to move from subject-based learning and into, you know, skills and, and mindsets and capabilities for the, for the future of work, what used to be the the sort of old mindset of the teacher being the expert is really starting to, sh- to shift. Uh, and whilst the teacher obviously, um, has experiences and, and, uh, you know has tools and techniques to be able to draw that out from young people if we're if we're standing up and trying to be the expert and everything it's just it's just absolutely impossible and i'm sure that you know educators are in there uh, that are listening to this will will really um connect with that so i think that's the first bit is it goes back to what we we're talking about before about vulnerability being willing to say i don't know uh, i think is really important and being able to accept as well that we're all doing our best it's interesting that um, in some of the work I've done in the past with teachers trying to learn a new skill set or, or trying to introduce a new topic like enterprise skills, what we found is the biggest barrier to teachers teaching enterprise skills is that they don't feel like they are enterprising, which is re- really interesting when you think about what it actually means to be a teacher. When you think about the skills that, that are required every day, the enterprise skills required every day by a teacher, they do it, you know. Teachers
0: are some of the most enterprising people that, uh, and professionals that I can think of.
1: Um, and, and, we've,
0: and we've just seen that over recent months with the whole COVID <laughs> thing. The adaptive expertise and the self-efficacy of our profession worldwide has been remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. And, and this is part of the thing, I guess, that's inspiring Adriano uh, and myself and the whole team at A School for Tomorrow right now is to say, look at what we can do in education, if we believe that we can do it let's keep going let's keep yeah. moving forward let let's not, let's not run too fast because that'd be silly yeah. uh, but, but but why would we want to go back when we can see that we have got what it takes to keep pushing it forward bit by bit by bit by bit by bit, by bit to adapt to the world that our kids need to thrive in I want to come and talk if I can about Princess trust because I'm really fascinated with the work that you 're doing there. For our listeners, both in Australia and internationally, can you just explain a little bit about what the Prince's Trust is, where it's come from, and what it's doing?
1: So Prince's Trust was formed about 40-odd years ago uh, by His Royal Highness Prince of Wales, uh, Prince Charles, uh, uh, when he finished up his service in the Navy and got his payout for that. Didn't necessarily need it the way that others might, but really spent the time looking at what were some of the major social issues happening in the UK at the time. Uh, it was during the Thatcher period, large youth unemployment issues at the time, and some of the sort of uh, additional uh, challenges that young people were facing as a result of that. So, Prince's Trust was started really it's, uh, at its core uh, to support young people to transition from education into self employment or into the world of work. If we fast forward at 40 odd years later, the Prince's Trust group works across the globe to really help young people to uh, continue. Uh, to think about and to transition um, into this rapidly changing world of work. In Australia, Princess Trust Australia focuses on three key portfolios, youth being one of them. We also help veterans, defence members and their families to transition from a life of service um, into self-employment. And we also have a portfolio that focuses on sustainable communities and thinking about best practices in the built environment for us to be able to have a sustainable future. So I came on board Princess Trust Australia a couple of years back, and it was such an incredible opportunity. Having worked in the education sector for quite a few years and working both within Australia and internationally, this was really an opportunity to look at the world-leading research at the time about what the future of work is going to look like for young people, to look at some great examples both within Australia and internationally on how we're addressing the needs of young people and the future of work. We really went through a quite an intensive co-design process with young people, with educators and with subject matter experts. And we had an opportunity to think about what are the needs for young Australians uh, today? How can we, uh, work in collaboration with uh, existing community service organisations and service providers and with schools to help really set up young people to not just survive, but to thrive in this rapidly changing world.
0: So, t- so tell me about young people in Australia today. What have, what have you learned from the process of the last two years?
1: So we've learned a few things. <laughs> we've learned that uh, young people don't feel like generally that they are being prepared for this changing world of work. Young people don't feel like they're getting good careers advice and they don't feel like uh, they're getting necessarily getting the skills, the plethora of skills that they're going to need to be able to transition. We're also hearing uh, that same message from industry, uh, with industry telling us that generally, young people are coming into the workforce without the skills and mindsets that they're going to need uh, to be able to thrive. We know that parents are really scared that their children are not going to find work and find meaningful work. And we also know that teachers really, really want to innovate uh, and want to address some of these challenges, but feel quite hamstrung by systemic pressures, by workload, by teaching to the test. And this combined, I think, really started to give us some insights into how we could work at Princess Trust Australia to support Uh, the education sector and also to support
0: uh, teachers and and young people to be able to develop the skills that they'll need um, to thrive. So this isn't about the deficit of teachers and this isn't about the deficit of kids or parents as well too. This is about systems and structures trying to keep up to the volume pace and intensity of our time and being caught in a time warp. We're effectively talking about the fact
1: that we are working within a system that was designed for the first industrial revolution. We are now in the fourth industrial revolution and there's clearly a big gap in how our societies uh, has, have developed since then. Um, I think that there is an absolute recognition um, that with the, the fourth industrial revolution comes uh, the need for us to develop, I guess, new opportunities for young people to develop
0: the skills that they're going to need to, to really push forward you know, we, we, we talked a little bit last time about uh, concepts of voice and agency. And I was talking with a client in Montreal late one night last week and uh, using phrases like voice and agency. That it was like tumbleweed. You know, they're really good people. But what is this voice thing? What is this agency? So, Dean, what is this voice thing? What is this agency? Why are voice and agency so important to young people today in a way that perhaps... But it wasn't as necessary previously. Is it something to do with this shift from one industrial setting to a, a subsequent industrial setting?
1: So again, with the the research that we looked at Uh, really came both from Australian sources and we looked at um, leading research from across the world as well. We looked at the World Economic Forum. We looked at the Foundation for Young Australians, Future of Work Research. Um, We uh, looked at a lot of stuff that was coming out of the EU. And what we really found is that came up time and time again, is that ethics, citizenship um, and I guess youth voice um, were, were very, very strong within that There's a recognition that young people are facing some challenges, but also some opportunities in the new world of work. We know that things like globalization uh, connect us, but also have potential barriers for for job opportunities. We also know that uh, flexibility in the work environment um, and opportunities in, in how young people can work will really start to play out as well. And we know that automation is going to impact young people as well. I think that those things combined take us into a world that we just haven't seen before and that we need to prepare young people um, for in in different ways. But it also means that young people have agency and voice in in, in different ways. You know, we we know now that, you know, through the (laughs) through the Internet and through social media, that young people feel so much more connected uh, to things that might be happening across the world than they would have been 50 years ago certainly more than they would have been a hundred years ago Um, and they feel connected to it but they're still kids
0: aren't they they're still kids so they're feeling connected so they're going to need an educational environment that walks them through how to express a powerful and responsible voice and how to act in a way that's commensurate with their sense of belonging the achievement of their potential and 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 doing what is good and right in the world yeah that's right and (laughs) how meta do we want to get here phil Um, we can go as meta as we want, man.
1: I always go back to like, what's the point of education?
0: What do
1: you think it is? Well, I mean, if, if part of what it means, if part of the role of education is to help young people to connect to a sense of lifelong learning, to connect to a sense of self, have an understanding of who they are, what they're good at, what they're interested in, who they want to be, um, and then to be able to have an education that allows them to develop the tools to be able to do that. I think that we're kind of on the right track. Um, so if we can help young people to be healthy, healthy, to be happy and to be, you know, good custodians and citizens, well, then connecting them to, I guess, a knowledge of how to do that is, is, is super important. So having exposure to social issues and ways to lead social action being, you know, being connected to self, but also being connected to a collective identity is, is super important as well. So I think what we're, we're seeing very clearly is subject based learning is important and is one part of a bigger puzzle. Social action and having multiple opportunities for young people to be engaged in social action, to have choice within the social action that they contribute to, uh, and, to and to develop skills that are going to be necessary for the future through leading social action, I think there's, uh, there's something really important and special in that and also starting, you know, what we're starting to see through the research is that you can absolutely connect those things. If we're focusing on skills, you can develop skills in real world application.
0: Absolutely. So tell me, give, give me a couple of, ex- of examples to, as to how the Princess Trust is hoping to do this in their work in this part of
1: the world. Yeah, so at Princess Trust Australia, as I, as I mentioned, we started this journey about two and a half years ago, and we started by looking at the research around the future of work. As I mentioned, we, we looked at stuff coming out of Australia through the Foundation for Young Australians. We looked at the World Economic Forum's work into the future of work and a range of other other things. We then started to distill all of that and did co-design with young people um, with Uh, teachers and with subject matter experts. We then started to get some design principles for whatever it is that we were going to create and how we were going to serve community. What we we learned pretty clearly was that whatever we designed had to develop these enterprise mindset skills and capabilities. And when I say enterprise skills, I'm I'm talking about what I guess would have used to be called soft skills or 21st century skills, future-proofing skills, whatever you want them to be, we call them, we call them enterprise
0: skills. And in and, um, and our, and, and our next conversation, we're going to dig really, really deep on those skills and, and, and pull them right apart and put them back together again. Yeah, so for the moment, let's focus on the programs themselves and the sorts of things that you've been able to do with that. Yeah. i have to say to my, 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 my dear colleague, our senior partner in the School for Tomorrow, Brad Adams, would be just tickled pink to hear you talking about design. (laughs) He loves that sort of stuff. Great, great. Well, okay, so the other ones that we came up or what what we learned pretty
1: clearly um, were that anything that we were going to create had to be adaptive to any school environment uh, or or educational environment for that matter. Um, So it couldn't just be, this is a program for a year nine student. It had to be much more diverse and adaptive to that. It had to be flexible um, in its approach uh, and be able to be delivered across multiple age groups. and then by focusing again on skills, um, you know we were able to really create something, uh, a framework that was able to be um, delivered across different age groups and I'll talk a little bit more about that um, you know as as we get into it. We also recognize that there's some you know pretty amazing programs and campaigns and initiatives that schools are already involved in. There's already so many so many great um, service providers in Australia. so we needed to be able to, amplify existing programs and initiatives that were happening um, within an education setting. Um, We needed to create something that was going to um, fit within and enable existing frameworks. You know, we heard very, very clearly that, you know, schools just don't want another program, you know, sick to death of programs, sick to death of just another curriculum. And, you know, really, it was about that idea of um, integration. We also heard very clearly that educators are um, swamped (laughs) as it is. There's so much stuff. So we needed to create something that was going to work and support them to support young people without adding extra pressure and that it needed to be fun. (laughs) Disengagement is is one of the key things here that, that, you know, one of the biggest barriers to education um, and lifelong learning. So whatever we came up with, it actually had to be
0: engaging as well.
1: So we took all of those things um, and we, we ended up creating a framework called Achieve. And effectively... Tell me about
0: Achieve. Tell me about Achieve.
1: <laughs> so, so effectively, um, Achieve is a, is a framework that is adaptive, uh, adaptable yeah. that helps young people to get a sense of who they are, to get really uh, personalized career pathways education, whilst also developing enterprise skills and applying it
0: to social action. So I know there's a lot in there, uh, but, but that's, So, that so let's, let's pull apart all three of those, cause it's, it's it's it's. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's the key, isn't it? it it's mm. about a very specific focus on an entry into work, but it's more than just work. It's more than just earning a dollar. This is about a person who they are, where they fit in, their concept of how they could serve other people who, you know, their whole vocation so yeah. let's pull it apart and talk about what you're doing and how you're doing it because i, I, I mean, this is a great case study in what leading education all over the world is encouraging us to think about right now which is about that entry point from one stage of education into the world of work and the next stage of education and so on and, so on, and being very deliberate about plotting those through lines mm. What we found is as we started to
1: distill those design principles and started to think about what uh, the Achieve framework really needs to consist of, what we found is there were four key components that emerged, those being who I am, the 20s, take action and make action. I'll talk through them ind- individually because I think each one of those starts to, to tease out uh, this, this, this framework um, and those sort of points that I mentioned before. The first one, who I am, really speaks to a lot of the things that we've, you and I have already touched on. You can't uh, expect a young person to make good decisions about subject choices, about career paths, um, and w- without having a sense of who they are. So the research told us that young people feel uh, a lot of pressure um, and that uh, impacts their mental health, particularly around subject choice. And really felt like, and again, I'm talking in in general terms here, that a lot of the information that they were getting about career paths were limited. So the first component of Achieve is called Who I Am, because it gives young people a chance to unpack that question and replace the old what do you want to be when you grow up question that we've all been asked and probably all asked someone else, um, Mm -hmm. which is... yeah, who grows up? No, yes, yeah. <laughs> but also like it's an outdated question, right? Like of what, what do we want to be when we grow up? When is, is irrelevant when we think about the future of work, when we think about, you know, that every um, industry is going to be disrupted um, and that most of the jobs that will exist don't exist. So who I am starts to give young people a chance to explore what are they good at? What are they interested in? What do they value? What are the things that they like to do that might be a side hustle or something they do because it's good for their mental health, as opposed to, um, you know, something that they are absolutely passionate about and want to dedicate their lives to. So that first component is a, a range of activities uh, that educators can deliver to young people um, and then can be extended on or can be reduced. But it's a, a, the, the core behind it is really unpacking that idea of who an individual is even before they start to think about careers.
0: Okay, so that's, that's who am I, the next component?
1: So the next component is called the 20s. So I should also mention that part of who I am uh, is giving young people a chance to um, self-reflect on enterprise skills. So part of who I am goes through um, the Foundation for Young Australians Job Cluster Research. Um, so they get a chance to understand this concept of personas or identities that might link to career paths. We also introduce the idea of enterprise skills and why they're important and transferable. So a young person finishes who I am with a deeper sense of who they are, but also the importance of these enterprise skills and a self-assessment against these skills. We then move into the second component, which is called the 20s. And they're called the 20s because they consist of a, a range of activities that are mapped against enterprise skills that take about 20 minutes to do. So it's everything from how do I get hundred points of ID to how do I find a mentor to how do I do a positive visualization? How do I cook a meal? How do I grow food? There are so many twenties that, that a young people can do. And again, they're all mapped against personas or identities and enterprise skills. So effectively a young person can go, all right, I've just done this self-assessment quiz. Communication is a skill that I feel like I can continue to develop. It's not, it's not in my top five. Then they can go, do one of the 20s that is focused on develop, developing of that skill. They do it in 20 minutes and they get instant evidence that they have developed
0: that skill. It sounds, it sounds fantastic, Dean. I mean, when, when we go all around the world and we talk to disengaged students, this is the stuff they tell us that they, they want to learn. They really want this sort of practical stuff. But then also when we talk to teachers who are working out what to do in their wellbeing or pastoral care or, or, or key competency curriculum that they've got to this is it's absolutely spot on isn't it it's 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 it's, it's very practical it's it's you know you've, yeah, done, you've done your hard work haven't you <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right well and you know what's really interesting is um we also you know have embedded a learning science across this and shout out to our friends over at high resolves um who use an incredible work um uh, learning science here focused on in order to get to mastery you need to have a peak experience that engages a the learner then repeated practice opportunities minimum of eight opportunities to repeat practice of that skill and then application to the real world to get to mastery so we've kind of used that that learning science but what's really interesting is we found that young people absolutely have a peak experience through the who i am component and and you physically see their body language change when they're having a chance to not just you know be asked what you want to be when you grow up but have a chance to kind of explore and interrogate what teachers absolutely love we find is the concept of the 20s because they are life hacks they are they're very clear they're very easy to use they're self-directed um, it's it's a chance for young people and for educators to to you know engage in a individualized learning process and the best bit is that it's evidence you know you have the evidence at the end of 20 minutes to say and the confidence to say i did a thing that helped me to develop that skill so it's also you know when you think about it from an assessment perspective that through line of self-assessment as well as opportunities for peer assessment and teacher assessment is, are really there
0: so strong research basis there's even some really good pedagogical thinking that's sitting behind it walk me through the next two the, the final two stages please great so the next two take action
1: and make action are really that um, idea of real world application And both are embedded in social action, but are slightly different. So I'll start with take action. So a young person would have gone through who I am and hopefully gained a a deeper understanding of the identities that they connect with, the skills that they're good at and the ones that they want to develop. They then go through to the 20s and they continue to develop those skills through a range of different activities that will help them to, I guess, be better functioning adults. We then ask them through take action to get involved in social action by backing someone else's good idea and this is really based on that idea of leadership through fellowship so so often we tell young people that you know to be a leader they need to go out and start something but how often do we ask young people to look around and to back someone else's good idea so really the concept of take action was based in that idea of helping young people to you know interrogate and back good ideas but also in our want and design principle to amplify existing great ideas that were out there. So effectively, the way that Take Action works is that we encourage young people to go out and to look at opportunities to engage in social action through someone else's idea. So it might mean, Take Action might mean, that uh, if you're really interested in the environment, uh, particularly around supporting uh, wildlife conservation, uh, so it might be that Zoos Victoria is looking for... Uh, young people to be involved in a co-design process to support the pygmy possum. So it might be that you go and attend a co-design day with Zoos Victoria through the lens of wanting to develop particular skills. Or it could be that your uh, school is involved in some sort of a campaign, environmental campaign, and you might really be focused in on design. So part of your contribution to a, a, a school-based uh, social action might be to use the skills that you have and uh, the identities that you connect with to uh, design particular campaigns and to uh, to lend your skills, your your technical skills around design to back that, that particular campaign.
0: So what, what I'm what I'm hearing from this Dane is that there's the capacity here, within schools, with kids who care about the environment, for example, and all kids care about the environment. I mean, that's, that's, that's what they do now, which is a, a tremendous thing, and I guess because the world's taught them to do that uh, as much as anything else. Although, you know, some of them like to shake their fists at us and, and ask us why we've created the problem, which is probably a fair enough question to ask <laughs> at the very least. It's actually about making something work.
1: And I think that, you know, the whole concept of taking action and supporting someone else's idea is actually learning through that experience as well. You know, so by aligning with established, you know, local and global organizations and working alongside them uh, to contribute to social action means that young people can continue to develop those skills, those 10 enterprise skills through the personas and identities that they connect with and without having to go there and like jump straight into the deep end and do their own, start their own thing. So that's why we, th- we really feel that taking action and leadership through followership is that key step before going out and making action of their own.
0: So tell me about making
1: action. So make action is really a, the final stage. So you've got a deeper sense, hopefully, a young person has a deeper sense of who they are. They've got a better understanding of the skills that they are really good at and the ones they want to continue to develop. They've had a chance to, to contribute to social action and back uh, a good idea. And Make Action is really about them going out and starting something themselves. It could be that they start a social action campaign. It could be that they go out and start a social enterprise. It could be that that, that now that they have a, had a chance to go through this framework and go, go down this path, that now they take uh, action, or sorry, they, they lead their own work experience opportunity. So there's a range of different ways that this could look. But certainly part of what we do in, in our design principles is this is where we would also say it's absolutely important to look at some great service providers that are already out there. So part of a make action could be if your school is already involved in the Foundation for Young Australians $20 BOSS program, great. Do that, but do it through the lens of the Achieve Framework and do it through the lens of skill development and and identities. Um, If your school is already involved in High Resolve's Videos for Change program, fantastic. That's what you do for a make action, but do it again through the framework and really thinking about it intentionally about the skills um, that can be developed through that process.
0: It's so thorough, Dean. It's like this is this is a real education in the notion of how to put together a comprehensive program in social leadership that is equipping, empowering, and enabling young Australians in this context, but. At there's no reason why I any mean, of this could be restricted to Australia. You know, young people to exercise that voice and agency that we talked about earlier, that the world is encouraging them to have and the world requires them to have. I'm, I'm channeling, a, 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 I'm channeling a, a, another client of mine right now where, you know, he's saying, we're not, we're not raising pussycats, we're raising lion cubs. Hmm. You know, we want people who can go out and, and really make a difference in the world. So we need to teach them how to do that along the way Dean, would you like to come back with this would do one more episode and we'll talk about those enterprise skills in particular i'm fascinated to know what you think somebody who is enterprising is too because <laughs> that of itself would be a great thing uh would you, would you would you mind doing one more with me not a problem at all phil thanks uh, thanks again and yeah love to get into it <laughs> awesome thanks very much dean Delia, and we'll talk with you soon cheers The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you hear.